Oh man! All right, too cheesy. Yeah, yeah, you should do it. It's going to be cheesy, but you should do it. And I'll make it, yeah. <laughs> I love the cheese. Yeah, I. Uh, that's perfect. Then I can make fun of you for dad jokes. Welcome back to the big half century mark, episode fifty of Acquired, the podcast about technology, acquisitions, and IPOs. I'm Ben Gilbert. I'm David Rosenthal. And we are your hosts. So today we are doing a classic episode of Acquired. It's the reason we started the show. It's the original format. It's one we've been talking about doing for a long time, and it's one that we've we've probably had, you know, 20, 30 requests for this since we started the show. Finally, we are covering... Finally, it's an Apple episode, so we have to say finally, we are covering the acquisition of Beats by Apple in 2014 for $3 billion. I'm so excited about this one. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I um, I wish I wasn't a little under the weather for it, but uh, listeners, bear with me. I know I'm a little, little nasally this episode. You're like, this is going to be like Michael Jordan in game six of the finals playing with the flu. It's like, you're going to rise to the occasion, Ben. <laughs> Thank you, David. <laughs> All right. Well, David, this is the perfect time to talk about one of our favorite companies, Statsig. Yes. When we had VJ on ACQ2 earlier this year, they were already a pretty impressive kind of Series B stage startup with a killer team and early product market fit. But what's happened since and the scale that they're operating at now is pretty wild. This is where we get lucky in being very choosy with our sponsors. Sometimes these things happen to them while we're mid-flight. Yes. So I asked them for some fun stats. In the past month, Statsig shipped actual live product experiments to over 1.2 billion end users. Now, that stat is not deduplicated across apps, so there's some overlap. But I mean, even if you cut that in half to approximate actual flesh and blood human people out there. That's almost 10% of the world's population. Crazy. Okay, so that's one. Two, Statsig now processes about 130 billion events per day. So the infrastructure that Statsig now has to support these data volumes is pretty wild. And it's not like they just execute these events. They then take all the data from them, run huge statistical jobs across the whole corpus, to compute the experiment results that their customers are running. It is just wild. It's funny, I hadn't thought to make this comparison until right now. So you said 1.7 million events a second. If you look at the Visa numbers, I just pulled up my Visa notes, Visa does 8,600 transactions per second. So that's, what, 200 times as much throughput at Statsig than at Visa? On the customer side, Statsig added... Arguably, almost all of the most important AI companies in the world this year, including Microsoft, Atlassian, Anthropic, along, of course, with regular old companies like Notion and UiPath and Lattice and Brex and Friends of the Show Rec Room. The team also kept shipping super fast. At the start of the year, they had just one core product. Today, they're a full-fledged product understanding platform. They have dedicated feature flagging warehouse native experimentation and product analytics yep 
So if your team wants the best platform in the world for making data-driven product decisions, you should reach out. Statsig.com slash acquired. And as always, there is special white glove onboarding for all acquired listeners. Our huge thanks to Statsig. All right, David, that is all I've got between us and uh, oh, I can't wait. And beats. I am ready to start. I almost started talking over you. <laughs> <laughs> that would be new. That would, yeah, no, that would not be new. Uh, all right, let's do it. So this is probably, certainly thus far, the coolest founding story on Acquired. Maybe, maybe as long as we do the show, I, it's going to be hard to find a cooler founding story than this one. Yeah, than I don't think one. that's possible. I don't think it's going to be possible. And certainly the coolest founders. So Beats was founded in 2006 by Jimmy Iovine and Andre Young. And those names may mean something to you, or they may not, but they certainly will in a minute. So Jimmy Iovine, who, who is Jimmy? Who is this guy? Well, he's a music producer and an executive. Uh, he started as a sound engineer early in his career. He dropped out of college. He grew up in New York City in Brooklyn. Uh, his dad was a longshoreman. And uh, he, he loved music, was obsessed with music. He eventually rises and he becomes the head of Interscope Records. But this guy, he is a legend. Um, and there's a great documentary about him and his co-founder, who we'll get into in a minute, uh, called The Defiant Ones on HBO. Highly recommend watching. I, uh, I had a chance to watch some of it preparing for this episode. And, and Jimmy is the actual coolest person alive. So I mean, I- <laughs> the first album that he works on is I think John Lennon's first solo album as a, as a studio engineer. Then he works on Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run album. Then he starts working with Stevie Nicks and Tom Petty. He actually dates Stevie Nicks in the 70s. Like, how awesome is that? And he's, he's responsible for Stop Dragging My Heart Around, Tom Petty song. So Jimmy is like, Stevie's doing her first solo album. Like, she needs a single. Like, Tom, do this with Stevie. And boom, Stop Dragging My Heart Around. But he doesn't stop there. He discovers U2. Um, so, like, that's him. Uh, he discovers No Doubt, Trent Reznor, and Nine Inch Nails. And then he completely reinvents himself. Uh, so, Tupac, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, 50 Cent, Lady Gaga, Kendrick Lamar. These are all products of Jimmy Ivine. Yeah, very similar sound, right? You understand how the same person could be responsible for all these artists. <laughs> just amazing uh you know he also he does the soundtrack for 16 candles uh many other movies and then founds you know interscope records along the way that you know all these artists are on probably you could make an argument that there is no more important figure in popular music you know of the last century that's how big his his impact is so his co-founder andre young who's that guy <laughs> Uh, well, it turns out, uh, as he says, you know, lots of people say that, uh, they forgot about Dre. <laughs> Andre oh, Young is David. Dr. Dre. <laughs> oh, David. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't help myself there. <laughs> uh, so probably Jimmy's most favorite uh, or most, uh, known for, um, musical collaboration, uh, and business collaboration is with Dr. Dre. Dre, you know, started uh, his musical career is actually part of the world class wrecking crew, I think, originally, and then was a member of NWA. And, you know, their you know, huge rise to prominence. And there's, you know, many movies have been made about Dre and NWA. And um, the, there, there's a great um, and I'm sure this is covered in lots of places. But in the um, in the HBO documentary, there's a great 
piece about how Dre basically gets on stage at this this like you know emerging nightclub um, for West Coast hip hop, and uh, he's the first person after experimenting a ton um, with a pre sort of like mixer turntable combination. You know, he he sort of builds all the stuff on his own and, and assembles it. Um, and he's he's doing it in his house, and his his mom buys him this little mixer, and he's the first person to basically mix two different tempo songs rather than just like fading one into the other or, or, you know, lining up two that are very similar BPM. And it's like an old sixties hit with, uh, you know, new hip hop song and the audience does like, no one knows what to do. Like he just like created this new thing, which of course we hear all the time now that's, that's sampled and, and mixed across decades and mixed from different tempos, but he gets up there and like, no one can believe it. No one knows what to do. He just like created this new thing that no one even knows how to dance to. And, you know, as someone that, you know, you, you know who Dr. Dre is, but you don't know what his sort of origin story is. It's just amazing to, to, um, it's a great documentary. I so, can't recommend so it enough. So great. And, uh, I mean, Dre is like, you know, he's the, the whole image, like, this is why he's Dr. Dre. Like he, you know, he goes off in the lab and he cooks up, you know, a beat <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it takes him a decade to do it. Um, but like he is, you know, one of the greatest, you know, musicians, you know, of all time. I mean, like he just creates like these perfect. So like he's he's obviously, you know, had his NWA career. You know, he's a, a rapper and uh, makes music himself, but he produces. You know, he's produced Tupac. He's produced Snoop, Eminem, 50 Cent, Kendrick Lamar. I mean, you know, like California Love, like that's him. That's Dre. You know, <laughs> he's not only rapping on it, but like the beat, like that's Dre. Pretty amazing. So. Jimmy and Dre have been, you know, business associates, collaborators, and, you know, deep friends for a long time. And in 2006, so this is the actual story of the founding of Beats, which according to Jimmy is, is completely true. Uh, if so, this is certainly the most amazing story. Jimmy's out running on the beach in LA. He's exercising. And, uh, and Dre is at his beach house and he, he sees, he sees Jimmy out there, you know, like they're good friends. He's like, Hey, you know, Jimmy calls him over and, uh, and they start talking, uh, they start chatting and Dre's like, you know, man, my lawyer called me the other day and like Nike and Adidas, like they're kind of after me. They want me to sell sneakers. They want me to do a sneaker deal. What do you think? And, and Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy looks at him and he's like sneakers, like Dre, nobody cares what you wear on your feet. Like, you know, you're, you're a recording <laughs> artist. You're not, you know, you're not an NBA player. You know, you shouldn't sell sneakers. You should sell speakers. <laughs> and Dre looks at him and he's like, you think we can really do that? And Jimmy's like, yeah, like we could definitely do that. And Dre's like, oh yeah, like we could call them beats. Like, you know, that's what I do. I make beats. We could call the speakers beats. <laughs> and, and that's how beats got started on the beach legendary. in LA. Legendary. Totally legendary. I think Dre made the right choice. Not, not going with the shoe deal. Um, and instead going with, with headphones and speakers. It seems like it. So at this point, is it just Beats Electronics? There's no Beats music? So yeah, the idea, well, we'll get, we'll get into what happens next in a sec, but I want to step back first, just give a little bit of context. So, you know, I have Ian, as we've talked about, he's, he is like the music industry executive. Um, and what he's great at, you know, like we were saying is like, he reinvents himself. He sees the future coming, you know, he goes from, Stevie Nicks and Tom Petty and Bruce Springsteen to, you know, Tupac and Snoop and, and Eminem and, and Dre. 
And he sees, you know, this is 2006, like he's known for a while that like digital, the music industry is, is dead as it was once was it's needs to be transformed. Digital has completely disrupted it. You know, it started with Napster, but then Apple is, is really big at this point. And, you know, with the iPod and the iTunes store and Jimmy's actually been, he, he was good friends with Steve jobs. Uh, he got to know Steve and Apple in 2003 when, when Apple was launching the iTunes music store. Um, so Interscope was, was a big part of that and all of the content. And so, so Jimmy's been thinking about this for a while. And, and the thing is that like, he knows, I mean, he's an executive, like the whole business model has changed because of, because of digital. It's not just piracy, but it's like now, you know, music is sold as singles, not albums. One, two, the entire distribution model. Like it used to be like you needed, you needed radio, you know, to get distribution. And then you needed like to get like physical CDs or vinyl or cassettes into stores and you need to have a relationship with the stores. That's all blown up. Like it's now just, you know, iTunes uh, and other digital platforms. The marketing's totally changed. But what's also happened is that like the channel is much wider and the relationship between like the artist and the music and the listener, like there's now all those steps that used to be in the middle are now just completely collapsed. Um, so Jimmy's like been thinking about this. And at the same time, he's also close to Apple and like he's inspired by, you know, what they've done with hardware and with the iPod. And actually, cool side, I don't know if folks remember there was a lot of marketing for the iPod with U2 and U2 was like the first product that like U2 ever endorsed. There was the U2 edition right. iPod. I had it. It was, it. It was, it was black awesome. with that red scroll wheel. I had that. It was so cool. You know, that's all like Jimmy, like, cause you know, Jimmy discovered U2, you know, and he's close with, close with them. Like he, he's the one who made that happen. So he's thinking about all this and that's like in his mind as they're having this conversation on the beach. So he's thinking like, think about hardware, thinking about Apple, the evolving music industry. So they have the conversation and a little over a week later, I guess, Jimmy calls, you know, nothing I would say, Jimmy calls Dre up and he says, Hey, I want you to come over. And Dre comes over and Jimmy has gone out and he has bought every single headphone on the market. He's got them like all on a big table. It's like, a <laughs> feels like a, like Johnny Ive, like product review, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and they listen to him and he's like, it's a thing. Like they all suck. They decide they all suck. And it's not because they're not like good technology, but there's, there's two problems that they realize with the headphone industry. One, you've got like the headphones that come with the, you know, with the iPod, they're like, you know, the, the ear pods or, you know, and, and other you know, bundled headphones. And these things cost like a dollar to make. Like they're super low end and like, you know, they're fine for what they are, but they're just like really cheap. They're not that good. But the other end of the problem at the at the high end of the market to Jimmy and to Dre's mind, they're doing it all wrong. It's these tech companies um, that are making headphones and they're making them as reference equipment. And so the idea like the, the you know, what audiophiles want, the pristine audio quality is like reproducing the exact nature of like every sound, every instrument, like exactly as it comes off of the, you know, the guitar, or the bass, or the drum or, you know, the violin or whatever. But, but they realize like, that's not like music isn't technical, it's emotional. Right. And so like the experience that most people want when they listen to music is they want to be like emotionally, you know, they want it to be dramatic. They want it to be taken by the music. They don't want it reproduced exactly as it sounded, you know, coming off the instrument. They want it to sound emotional. Uh, and that's not what any of these headphones are doing. And this is the very first point where we, we realize good headphones and and the ideal that uh, Jimmy and Dre were shooting for here is not at all the same thing that audiophiles are shooting for. Exactly. They're, they're not a beloved headphone by people that 
have a certain way to evaluate are these high quality replica of what happened in the studio headphones. Exactly, exactly. But what they, what Jimmy and Dre realize, and they know from you know their experience making popular music, is the audiophile category is like a tiny, tiny, tiny market compared to the rest of the population who wants to experience music. You know, when they're working out, when they're focusing, when they're you know whatever. It's part of their life. It's not something they want to like reproduce exactly. Yeah. Um, it's, it's amazing how there was an opportunity for a brand and a category that was kind of unbranded the brands there were oh well i also have a stereo that's sony so i have sony headphones or i also have a walkman so you know i have sony headphones or i have an ipod so i'm using the the stock ipod it was always like this is the electronics company that i have for something else so i got their headphones too i have no emotional connection and there's not a lifestyle that's that i have that's defined by this the headphones that i'm using and no one thought that that was a thing like people always thought oh it's an accessory or, you know, the very high end people thought, oh, it's a, a product on its own, but that's not a thing that permeates, you know, life. But it really defined uh, lifestyle and how you wanted to think about yourself when you when you put on Beats headphones. Yeah. And it's also like, you know, it's a uh, also unlike a tech device that you keep in your pocket or on your desk or whatever, like it's on your body. It's also like a, you know, a piece of fashion and it's an advertisement for the brand that you're walking around with every day. So, you know, Jimmy and Dre, they realized this and, and he even says like they decided they were going to market the product just like they marketed an artist, you know, like the product is an artist. And this is totally revolutionary at the time. Like, you know, who who would have thought to market headphones like you would market, you know, like Jimmy says, you know, we decided we we're going to market it like it was Tupac or U2 or Guns N' Roses, you know, like that's not <laughs> that's not what Sony's doing. That's the that's the business plan. They decide, you know, rather than like trying to make all this hardware ourselves and get into the tech game, we'll, we'll just partner with somebody. So they partner with Monster, the high-end cable company. Beats, Dre, and, and Jimmy and the team, super small team. They design the headphones. They create all the specs. Monster produces them. But what they do, they also do essentially like, you know, what are, what are these guys? They're music guys. They do like artist development. They're treating the headphones like an artist. They do the same thing with the headphones. So like as they're getting prototypes over the next year, year and a half, like they're bringing them all into the office, into the Interscope office, and they're getting all the artists to like use them and give them feedback. Um, so like every, you know, Will I Am, you know, Gwen Stefani, like all these people, you know, Lady Gaga, they're all like using them, trying them out, giving feedback. That's like the best way to get sort of early customers or early influencers is like make them feel part of the process, right? That they're involved in, oh, I helped shape this thing. Oh, I've known about this since the very beginning. Like, oh, I've, you know, I have, even though they don't actually have skin in the game, they have some sort of reputational or cool factor skin in the game and reason to be super excited and promotional about it when it finally debuts. Yep. Well, and it's exactly what they do, you know, with artists, right? Like, you know, what did they do with Eminem, right? Like they brought him in, they paired him with Dre, and then, like, you know, Eminem's first, you know, songs that came out, like, you know, Dre's in them. <laughs> and Dre did the beats. And, like, you know, Eminem learns from Dre, right? But then also, like, he gets marketed by Dre. Same thing they do with the headphones. So the first product, uh, quote, Beats by Dr. Dre, studio headphones. Uh, no way. Of, it was Beats by Dr. Dre? It was Beats by Dr. Dre in the wow. beginning. Come out late 2008. Uh, and, and this is what they do. They put the headphones in the music videos of all of the artists on, on Interscope. So it's like, you know, when you do like, you know, you know, whatever song, you know, for a new artist to come out and it'll feature Dre on the, you know, the album or whatever, like, you know, this is like a new song, like new headphones coming out and they're featured on the albums of, you know, on the videos of, of all these other artists. That's awesome. 
Totally awesome. awesome. What great, unique marketing channel that other people just couldn't possibly have. Totally. I didn't even think of like, because they're not thinking of headphones, you know, in this way. So then the other thing that they do pretty early on is they they give a pair to LeBron James. I think they actually give it to his manager, maybe or somehow like they get they get a pair to LeBron. He's like, oh, yeah, these are cool. Like, And he's like, give me I tell you, what, give me 15 of them. I'm like, all right, LeBron, you're like, here you go. Here's 15, you know, pairs of beats. <laughs> and this is right before the 2008 Olympics. And next thing they know, the MV, the basketball, U.S. basketball team shows up for the Olympics in Shanghai. They are all wearing beats. <laughs> And, uh, and, th- and, then and that's they- like, that's a signature of the company now, right? Is like a, a sports team walking out of the tunnel onto the floor in their warm up stuff, all wearing beats. Yep. So they fall into, they realize that like sports is going to be massive for them. I mean, again, you know, headphones, uh, totally crazy that nobody had thought about marketing headphones and speakers with like musicians before. But, but what about athletes, right? Like, you know, it really is, it goes back to Dre and the shoe deal, you know, like let's market it the same way. So this leads to a couple of years later, the awesome, the hear what you want commercials that they do, you know, with Richard Sherman and Colin Kaepernick and Kevin Garnett, just so good. And, uh, you know, really a, a big part of the marketing, especially for people that maybe might not be as much into music or artists particularly, but like are into sports, like it really becomes a lifestyle brand. And then hey, we're skipping ahead a couple of years. We'll come back. But in 2014, you know, the show beats are so popular in the NFL and all these commercials are hitting. The NFL does a deal with Bose headphones and like, and they ban beats. <laughs> and Jimmy's like, they actually, Jimmy gives an interview about this, like as it's happening. And there's so much publicity and like, everybody's talking about it. All the athletes are talking about it. And Jimmy's like, this is the best thing that ever happened to us. Like I literally <laughs> could not have planned this any better. <laughs> it's like the, the narrative of like these rich guys want to come in and pay money so that people can't have what they want. What they want is beats. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, it's like the parallels to when, uh, when Facebook tried to copy Snapchat with poke, you know, and it's like, you take a step back and you're like, this is the best thing that ever happened to Snapchat. But okay, so back to the company story. So they, they launched the first product in 2008. It's really successful. They're growing, but they're still, you know, they've got this partnership with Monster. Beats itself is super small company. They're just, you know, they're the brand and they're the design and reference designs. But they decide, you know, they want to grow. So they they partner with um, with HTC. And we've referenced this in other episodes on the Android episode and others. But what was the one we did? Uh, I think it was the uh, the HTC Google. Yeah, company. HTC Google, yeah. right? HTC itself. HTC ends up acquiring a majority stake in Beats in August 2010, and uh, they pay 309 million dollars for a 50.1 percent stake. Uh, so the company's valued at over 600 million. As Jimmy talks about it. It's mostly Jimmy because Dre doesn't talk much. Like this is his thing. Like Dre, he just, he's just in the lab. <laughs> like he hates talking to hates talking to anyone, let alone the press. But Jimmy talks a lot. So you, you, Jimmy talked about. It, he's like, well, you know, I knew the future of music was gonna be, you know, on smartphones, and so I thought like we needed to, you know, we needed to tie up with a smartphone manufacturer to get, um, you know, our headphones and our technology into uh, into these phones. So this is where you have like Beats by Dre HTC Android phones that are coming out for a while, (laughs) which are hilarious. Uh, We totally should like we should find somewhere that's like an acquired like museum and put some of these products in there. We could get a next (laughs) uh, a next station. We get a HTC Beats phone. (laughs) Oh, yeah. They uh, we didn't do an episode on it, but we referenced that HP iPod. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Oh, and we should get the U2 iPod. Of course. Oh, this is great. 
maybe we can finally get all that U2 music off my iPhone that was put on it without my permission. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, man. That was a disaster. <laughs> yeah. That's actually a great idea. We should do an acquired museum. If anyone wants to sponsor an acquired museum somewhere. <laughs> David, wh- <laughs> you know what? I hope one day this show gets to the level where we have a, an actual physical museum. <laughs> For now, maybe maybe in one of our houses. <laughs> you got a dream. <laughs> um, okay, so they do the deal with uh, HTC and the company Beats continues to grow. Uh, it totally overtakes pop culture. I mean, kids everywhere are wearing them. Uh, non-kids are wearing them. Uh, they're growing and growing. 2012, Jimmy and Dre kind of realized like, okay, uh, there's a huge opportunity here. And if we're really going to make this a big company, we got to own, we got to control our own destiny. We got to kick monster out and, you know, and build everything in house. Uh, and again, remember Jimmy, you know, knows everybody at Apple. He's super inspired by them. Um, and this idea of, you know, like hardware and brand and software all together. So they don't renew the partnership with Monster. They move to producing the hardware themselves. <laughs> Monster, this is just such an example of like the competition these guys were facing in the in the headphone industry. Monster decides like, oh, we can do this too. We're going to come out with like lifestyle branded headphones and work with artists. So they <laughs> released Earth, Wind and Fire branded headphones. Now, I love Earth, Wind and Fire. Great group from the 60s and 70s. <laughs> But like, are you serious? Like <laughs> Dre, Earth, Wind, and Fire, same resonance, you know, same same group of people. Totally. Love oh yeah, and have reverence. Earth, Earth, Wind, and Fire headphones are t- totally going to de- dethrone, you know, Beats by Dre and Richard Sherman and Colin <laughs> Kaepernick and LeBron James. They're like, yo, are you kidding me? Uh, to be fair to Monster, they also come out with Miles Davis branded headphones, which you know, again, like Miles Davis, great, but like, how big is that market versus you know LeBron James fans? Yeah, uh, and I mean the the mark that they miss there is not that like. I love Dr. Dre, so I listen to Beats. It's that Dre is cool, and there's and he's behind Beats, and Beats are the brand. Not that like I want to represent Dr. Dre every time totally. I wear my Beats around. Totally, totally. Um, so then they actually, <laughs> this is monster. They end up suing after the Apple acquisition a couple of years later. They end up suing beats and apple they're like oh you deal cheat us out of all this and apple's like this is such a baller move apple's like okay fine so they revoke monsters membership in the like certified apple accessories <laughs> <laughs> like you want to play hardball we'll play hardball oh, the um the uh, mfi certified. yeah the mfi certified and, and monster pursues the case a court eventually throws it out and like this is totally baseless case so there there are i'm sure a large group of people in apple that have like zero respect for what what monster does as a company anyway. And I think it, it probably felt good just to like be able to, to, to stick it to him there. Cause I mean, for in, in, in my mind, the thing that I'll always know monster for is, is like complete BS lying to you marketing about the quality of connectors that are no better than the connectors that you could get for something that is a fifth the price and then charging you $150 for an HDMI cable. I just have to imagine that that having uh, having recourse to tell that company to you know stick it somewhere is is a nice <laughs> <Yeah>. feeling. <laughs> I feel like there was some. I don't know if this has come out in court cases or otherwise, but there must have been some like massive collusion between Best Buy and Monster throughout like all of the '90s about all this stuff. Like it's digital, right? Like the quality of the kit, it's ones and zeros. Like it's not it's, analog. It's gold plated. 
You don't okay. understand. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get out of monster land. The other part about kind of controlling their own destiny, um, you know, Jimmy and Jerry also realize that like tying up with HTC is not the future here. First, they get HTC to sell back half of their stakes. They own 50.1%. They sell back 25% to the company in 2012. And then in, in 2013, uh, the Carlyle Group, the big private equity fund, they actually invest $500 million in Beats and use part of that proceeds to buy back all the rest of HTC. So HTC is completely gone uh, by 2013 from the cap table. Did Jimmy and Dre get any liquidity from that that initial 50.1% purchase from HTC? Do you know? I don't know. I mean, I suspect so, but I don't, I don't know. But apparently, I think when that happened, I, I could be wrong here, but I think the company was like five people. Like, I mean, it was literally just like Jimmy uh, and Dre. Oh, because all the manufacturing was still contract? Yeah, it was all done by Monster. So it was just like, you know, the Beats was just doing like the design, the sound tuning, and that that, that was done by, you know, mostly Dre, and, uh, and then the marketing. So it's kind of crazy that like HTC, you know, that you could build such value and that HTC paid, you know, 300 million for half the company with like five people. <laughs> yeah. Talk about a talent acquisition. Yeah, seriously. Well, we'll get into that in a minute. Actually, that would be kind of a fun, yeah, um... I'd probably not another episode, but it's interesting. We, sh- we should, when we're classifying what type of acquisition it was for Apple, we should also do that for HTC. Yeah, totally. Good, uh, good point. Let's remember to do that. As part of all this, they start producing the products themselves. They're done with Monster. The first in-house Beats products that come out are the Beats Executive headphones uh, first and the Beats Pill uh, wireless speaker which was a massive success of a product uh, is now on multiple generations. The other thing they do uh, as they're doing all this is they acquire a small uh, tech company, a music streaming company called Mog, M-O-G. And this is part of, you know, back to Jimmy's vision about like the whole music industry needs to change. Like he's always wanted, you know, I mean, headphones is great. And that was, you know, how they started Beats. But like his vision was like much bigger that this was going to be his way of, riding the next wave in the music industry. So Mog was fairly struggling. I mean, it was at this point, Spotify had entered the US and kind of won the market. But they they did some interesting things and they had some some definitely good tech talent. So Beats acquires them and starts working on totally redoing the Mog service and rebranding it as, as Beats Music. So they work on that for about 18 months. And in the meantime, hit over a billion dollar revenue run rate just on the headphones. Um, and then in January 2014, they relaunched Mog as the Beats Music streaming service. But the thing that Beats Music has that none of these other streaming services has have that, that they think is really important is they have actual involvement by the artists themselves. So there's like playlists that are made. There's recommendation, curation by, by Dre, by the Interscope artist, by Jimmy. You know, everybody else is just a, an algorithm at this point. And Dre and Jimmy think this is the future. Yeah, and this is I'll I'll borrow from Tech Themes ahead now, but this is the the Jimmy Iovine vision that that manifests in multiple forms. That's really respect the artist, keep the artist involved. It's all about the artist. In fact, in um, the Defiant Ones documentary, he's there's a, a quote from him where he's like, "People people like to attribute things I did to me and success to to producers and producers try and take credit for that. A lot of the time, it's 99.9% the artist and you got to respect that and you got to understand that. And that, that's what makes a great producer. And it's interesting looking at the streaming service and saying, you know what, the artists need more involvement with this human curation. So 
foreshadowing um, the Beats One radio. You know, it's it's human curated, and that's actually a value proposition rather than algorithmically selected, or in fact, not even algorithmically selected, and and just showing you, um, you know, huge lists of songs for you to to search and browse through. And then, you know, a tenant of of Jimmy's as Beats would grow later is we don't have a freemium tier, and we'll we'll talk a lot about this, but like. Artists get paid for music, and that's final, and that's his his party line through and through, and and really sets him apart from a lot of the other sort of disruption that's happening in the in the space. Yep, yep. Well, and the you know just the whole ethos again, getting back to the headphones of like music is personal, music is emotional, music is not technical, and I think that's part of the vision here too. Is like you know your your music service, you don't want an algorithm you know queuing up what's next. You want like. Dre queuing up what's next. You want Stevie, you know, queuing up what's next. Maybe, maybe we'll see. My well, discover weekly is really good. Well, totally. I'm not saying it's right. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> saying this is Jimmy's, you know, vision and, and certainly for, you know, for a big part of the market. I think that resonates. We'll get to the end of the story here now. And, and the end is kind of <laughs> just as fun. It might also be the coolest end to a acquisition story that we'll ever have unacquired. Certainly thus far. So May 8th, 2014, uh, remember in January, they launch Beats Music uh, just a couple months before. So a few months go by, May. The Financial Times reports, uh, breaks the news that apparently Apple, uh, Jimmy's old friends, are in negotiations to buy Beats for $3.2 billion. And this would be the largest acquisition in Apple's history by literally an order of magnitude. So the previous largest was the next acquisition, which we covered, which was just over $400 million. This would be, you know, Apple doesn't do things like this. It's huge news. And, and it's true, negotiations are going on, but they're not done yet. And so Jimmy calls up Dre and he's like, all right, this came out. Like, we got like, this is Apple. They're so secretive. Like, they could walk at any moment. Like, we know these guys. Like, we got to keep quiet until this is done. Like, you can't say anything. Just keep it on the DL. Like, be completely like do not do anything <laughs> dre's like yeah yeah gotcha <laughs> so dre's in the studio that weekend and he's hanging out with friends and, and one of his friends is uh the actor and singer tyrese gibson they're hanging in the studio and they're talking about this of course like what are you going to talk about like you're about to sell their company for you know 3.2 billion dollars and uh they're excited and it's late at night and they you know they're drinking they get drunk and uh, Tyrese, you know, pulls out his phone and makes a video of all of them and they're celebrating. And and uh, and and Tyrese says, like, the Forbes list just changed, just came out. They're going to have to like new information. They got to change the Forbes list. And then Dre pops up and he's like, first billionaire in hip hop right here. <laughs> and uh, uh, and they're like, you know, or they're partying, whatever. They go to bed. So, so cringeworthy. Uh, that night, 4 a.m., uh, so early, early morning, Jimmy calls up Dre and he's like, what the, you know, F like, it's like, what the heck are you doing? And Dre's like, what do you mean? And, and Jimmy's like that video. And Dre's like, well, what do you mean? And Jimmy's like, Tyrese posted it to Facebook. <laughs> and this was right when Facebook video was like launching. So people didn't really understand like what Facebook video was. And so obviously you know, it's on the internet. <laughs> now they don't actually say that Apple is acquiring beats, but like it's strongly implied here, especially corroborating this, this article. Uh, <laughs> So there's some rockiness to the deal. And um, honestly, it, I, I, I can't believe Apple still went through with it. I can't either. Uh, but they, they do. 
But, you know, supposedly like it was, you know, as the Financial Times was reporting, beginning of May, it's close to done. Nothing gets announced until the end of May. So May 28th, 20 days later. And when it gets announced, Apple is doing the acquisition for $3 billion, not $3.2 billion. Nobody discusses why, and there's speculation. Well, it could be that the Beats Music subscriber numbers were actually a little lower than you know they thought they will. Maybe it's the Tyrese video. We'll never know, but uh, <laughs> pretty hilarious. I mean, it really shows a few things. One, how badly Apple wanted to do what they were going to do with Apple Music and how integral they viewed Beats in doing that. Two, the power of Jimmy and his relationships. The characteristic Apple we know of, it's it's done. Like you, you messed up. We're not. We're no longer moving forward with this. You've proved yourselves to be people that we can't, uh, you know, can't trust to to sort of live the Apple way um, and lead a huge part of the company going from. This is yeah. the largest acquisition by an order of magnitude that Apple's ever made. Yep. So the day it gets announced is actually the Recode conference is, is going on. Code conference is going on, and so Jimmy and and Eddie Q. So Eddie Q's always been the media and content guy at Apple. And uh, the day the deal gets announced, he's scheduled to be interviewed on stage uh, at the Code Conference by Kara and Kara Swisher and Walt Mossberg. And, um, and the deal gets announced, right? So, so he and Jimmy come up on stage together and they get and they're they're interviewed by Kara and Walt. And they're like, well, this, this is big news. Uh, but people knew it was coming. Um, but the thing that Jimmy, you know, makes the point and Eddie both several times in this interview is like, this didn't happen overnight, you know, that, that Eddie had, uh, Jimmy had been working with Apple and with Eddie for over a decade, you know, going back to the launch of the iTunes music store and to, you know, so to your point, Ben, I mean, the relationships, like uh, that's gotta be what saved the deal here. Yeah. God, to be a fly on that wall, to understand the phone call that Eddie Q makes to Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> or to Dre. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny. In I kind of hope in, that Eddie just called Dre up. I know, right? In, in in the Defiant Ones, they do talk a lot about, and I haven't finished it yet, but in the uh, at least in the, the first part of it, they talk a lot about the how how Jimmy finds out and talking with Dre about it. We don't hear at all what the communication from Apple is like. And so, you know, it's very it's there there's still there's still the core of Apple in there. <laughs> uh they really like somebody someday should do like a book and like go in and research like all like the actual stories behind all this stuff at Apple. It start it leaks out, you know, a little bit over the years as things get older, but there's so many of these that, um, you know, there should be there should be a, an actual historian go in and like do this at some point. Yeah, great point. So, so at this point, the the acquisition it's actually two LLCs. It's Beats Electronics LLC and Beats Music LLC. And I remember when I first heard the news, it not being totally clear to me which which was more valuable, more strategic. Why why Apple was actually doing this? I mean, to me, it seemed like. Beats Music was, yeah, it had some people using it, but like clearly not going to be a winner. Like Spotify was going to be a winner. It didn't, it paled in comparison to people still doing the 99 cent thing from Apple. Like the the headphones were super popular and, and permeated pop culture and seemed to be doing really well. So I think in my head at the time of the acquisition before Apple Music was announced, I'd sort of chalk that up to like, okay, they bought the headphones company. Yep. Yep. Totally. You know, the sort of coda here uh, is just over a year later, 
uh, Apple Music launches, Apple's first streaming service, and it is a you know rebranded and revamped uh, Beats Music, including the Beats One uh, radio station. That's part of it. That's hosted by Dre and other artists, and and so that launch and that becomes you know Apple's primary uh, music offering. But then also, as we know, uh, Ben is wearing them right now. <laughs> Apple has gone much deeper into headphone technology over the last couple of years. Yeah. You know, I'd say we did a good amount of research, not totally clear how much the Beats folks were involved in the AirPods design. I mean, I think there's a little bit of crossover, but but Apple actually doesn't influence the Beats hardware stuff very much. I think it's they're they're taking advantage of some economies of scale and some um, innovation where they're they're sharing things between those two. For example, the W1 chip that's in the um, in the AirPods appears also in the the most recent Beats. Um, wireless headphones, but for the most part, I I believe it's Apple's uh, existing hardware teams continuing to work on the AirPods and Beats hardware teams continuing to push the ball forward on uh, on uh, Beats headphones. And there was some layoffs in the consolidation. They they laid off, I believe, two hundred people in in combining the companies. But yep. Well, I, this is probably a good segue into acquisition category, and we can get into some of the numbers of analyzing the deal later in in you know grading and and other segments but but i think it comes down to like what what was this acquisition <laughs> you know i mean for me i was thinking about it like it, it actually kind of fits a bunch of our categories like it's a business line for sure like you know apple now owns beats they're selling beats headphones um, which in it itself is over a billion dollars i mean even before the acquisition i think this is 2013 2014 numbers but over a billion dollars in revenue just on the headphones Yep, totally. And that's you know, when Apple acquired the company. You know, it's also an asset. It's the brand of Beats, uh, for sure. Um, as we've talked about, you know, the, that's um, it was at the time and still is a huge part of pop culture um, that Apple's getting access to. But I think it's also like if I had to choose one, um, I think it's actually people. And I think, you know, there's there's a lot of really, <laughs> in some ways, kind of funny and unexpected parallels to uh, the next acquisition here. And, um, you know, Steve Jobs coming back to Apple. I, I wouldn't put Jimmy and Dre's impact at Apple anywhere near the level of Steve Jobs, but it is an impact for sure. And, and there's that long relationship. And I think it comes back to the AirPods, too. Like, whether or not the Beats team was involved in the AirPods, it is this, like, view of... What is, you know, audio? What is music? Is it something technical or is it something that's like part of your life? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a scattering of categories. The way that I was thinking about this acquisition and how to do the analysis, I sort of discarded, I did discard the the headphones line of business. I mean, yes, it's it's a, a it's a, a brand and it's a great, uh, great source of revenue. And it's, it's only continued to improve since they bought it. Um, though they don't break it out, I think Beats has become more, more, more prominent over the years. What they, in my mind, bought was two things. It's, it's one, an existing app and service that was well done so that, um, you know, they, they didn't have to start from scratch in house. You could imagine Apple being, you know, knowing they were going to do Apple music and knowing that they wanted to compete with Spotify in this world where their, uh, a thing they pioneered music over the internet, um, was being largely disrupted and they needed to become a player in the changing world. They totally could have done it on their own. Yep. Well, but, and, but, but also Apple, I mean, in the sound jam episode, uh, which is like totally the precursor to this episode, uh, 
you know, they made the same decision. Like, let's buy uh, a good technical service and like, you know, use that as a starting point. Right. And so that's not worth $3 billion for sure. Totally. That's all. That's where I was like, going. You know, yeah. SoundJam is worth what was SoundJam is, is um, I think we talent acquisition. Like, yeah, like 10 million or less. So, yeah. Uh, one piece of analysis that I read was like, well, c- consider if they had decided to do it on their own to compete, you know, let me paint this picture. A competitor of theirs rises to prominence using their own devices as distribution in a thing that a service that people consider core to their lives. And this analysis was talking about Google Maps. Apple decides to do something on their own to compete and comes out with Apple Maps. And there's, you know, a a large debate over how that's going. (laughs) Although I think a lot more people use Apple Maps than like, you know, at least in the tech world, we give it credit for. Right. There's also an element of um, Apple... They're not great at social. They're not great at services compared to other companies. So there's a lot of risk in them having complete and total control to shape the product of what does this service look like. And by buying, you know, Beats Music, they had a really good starting point. Now, again, none of this is is worth $3 billion. Some of that is because the headphones business was already doing great. So anybody who wanted to just buy that thing would have to pay a billion or more for that on its own. Then when you layer on, okay, great, we're going to get this scaffolding of a great music service. So call that a technology. I'd say product, but I really, well, let's say product. What you really need on top of that to make the whole thing tick and to really start competing with Spotify is is Jimmy's relationships and Jim and and beats you know Dre and Jimmy's position within the industry and so to to enable that sort of technology product that they built um, to to really start to to be differentiated and and uh, and scale you know is is the talent there. I totally agree, but I, I would even go one step farther. I think. Um Maybe this is heresy, uh, given, you know, like we're talking about the way audiophiles view, you know, beats and whatnot, headphones. But I actually think there are a lot of parallels here to the Instagram acquisition of Facebook. I'm just going to paint this picture. Who knows if it would have been successful, how long it would have taken. I think beats could have been a serious threat to Apple in the long term. Jimmy and Dre, and particularly Jimmy, well, maybe Dre too. He just doesn't talk much, so we don't know. <laughs> uh, but they had a vision, right, of like what was Beats and what was this combination. Jimmy talks about it all the time in these interviews, like how much he idolized, you know, he respected Steve Jobs' view of like technology plus liberal arts. And you could argue with like how well Beats did on that, but like that was the driving vision. It was like, we're not just a headphones company. We're not just a tech company. We're also not just a music company. We are like part of your life. And like the relationship that we have to our customers is super deep. And that's exactly what Apple is too, right? Like, so maybe we're bleeding into what would have happened otherwise now, but like say this acquisition hadn't happened. Like what does Beats look like now? What does Beats look like in 10 years as a standalone company? Like, Just like Apple started with, you know, let's take, you know, Apple version two, you know, after Steve Jobs comes back, starts with like a MP3 player, you know, like, oh yeah, that's nice. Apple's doing consumer electronics now. That's, that's cute. Now Apple's the biggest company in the world and like the most personal relationship with like billions of people around the world. Maybe headphones was the way that like Beats could have done that too. It's interesting to think about, especially in the future that we've like painted on other episodes where where a headphones and, and a watch or a headphones and a wearable in some way are, are the, the new phone. But you sort of do need to be the ecosystem owner of all of those things um, in order to do that. And it, Apple, 
I think it's pretty hard to be a new entrant to compete with Apple there. Yeah. Totally. Well, I think Beats would have had a really hard time technologically doing it on their own without Apple, right? But this is where it comes back to the AirPods, right? And like, where is computing going? Where is um, technology going? But also, where is like, you know, where is society? Where are the liberal arts going? Like, and that's why you're back to the people, the relationships, like you're saying, like Jimmy and Dre, like they understand why people use things. Like people buy headphones and listen to music because of the emotional, you know, impact of the music, not because of the tech specs, you know, like, and I think that's what Apple got so right about the iPhone, right? Like, it's not about like, you know, like, you know, the talk show talks about this all the time. Like, Apple doesn't market on speeds and feeds. Like, it markets on like how this impacts your life. To me, that's like the biggest thing here is a people deal. And and that's why this is a $3 billion acquisition and Apple's largest ever. And that's why SoundJam was a, you know, acquire. Wow. It's a bold statement. If you were to attribute, uh, I'm sure there is actual models with attribution to this. If you were to attribute that $3 billion allocated across uh, Beats Electronics and Beats Music, Mm. how would you do it? I just see, I don't don't think Apple would do that. And and I don't think that's how you should think about it. Because it's about like, again, it's about like the AirPods, you know, like, which isn't Beats at all, right? But it's about like what this vision can get to and how. Beats as a company, Beats as a brand, Jimmy and Dre as leaders can help Apple, you know, get there. And they just happen to bring a lot of really helpful assets along the way. Yeah, and ask, but you can't value the assets, right? Like, again, back to SoundJam. Like, SoundJam had no brand. Sound, SoundJam had no, like, they had customers who, who like, used the product and liked it, right? But, like, it wasn't, like, be, like the NFL wasn't banning SoundJam, you know? <laughs> right? Oh, um, man. Yeah. If we, I don't know. If, I mean, like, I'm definitely out on a limb here, but but I think it's true, right? Like, because the question is, why did Apple pay $3 billion for Beats and, you know, $3 million for SoundJam? Right. All right. I'll, I'll roll with you there. We want to thank our longtime friend of the show, Vanta, the leading trust management platform. Vanta, of course, automates your security reviews and compliance efforts, so frameworks like SOC 2, ISO 27001, GDPR, and HIPAA compliance and monitoring. Vanta takes care of these otherwise incredibly time and resource draining efforts for your organization and makes them fast and simple. Yep, Vanta is the perfect example of the quote that we talk about all the time here on Acquired. Jeff Bezos, his idea that a company should only focus on what actually makes your beer taste better, i.e. spend your time and resources only on what's actually going to move the needle for your product and your customers and outsource everything else that doesn't. Every company needs compliance and trust with their vendors and customers. It plays a major role in enabling revenue because customers and partners demand it, but yet it adds zero flavor to your actual product. Vanta takes care of all of it for you. No more spreadsheets, no fragmented tools, no manual reviews to cobble together your security and compliance requirements. It is one single software pane of glass that connects to all of your services via APIs and eliminates countless hours of work for your organization. There are now AI capabilities to make this even more powerful, and they even integrate with over 300 external tools. Plus, they let customers build private integrations with their internal systems. And perhaps most importantly, your security reviews are now real-time instead of static, so you can monitor and share with your customers and partners to give them added confidence. So whether you're a startup or a large enterprise and your company is ready to automate compliance and streamline security reviews like Vanta's 7,000 customers around the globe and go back to making your beer taste better, head on over to vanta.com acquired and just tell them that Ben and David sent you. And thanks to friend of the show, Christina, Vanta's CEO, all acquired listeners get $1,000 of free credit. Vanta.com acquired. 
Before we go into uh, what would have happened otherwise, why don't I catch us up a little bit on how is Apple Music doing and what did the world of streaming services, uh, how did that evolve? So let's rewind to before the... Uh, the, the Beats acquisition. So Spotify had collected 20 million paying subscribers while Apple had no offer, you know, no offering in the market. And, you know, they're the pioneers of digital music and are the, the, yeah, the, of, of, you know, legal, legal digital music. And here they are sitting there while they're being completely disrupted. In fact, Pandora even grabbed 80 million active listeners and it looks like about 4 million uh, paying subscribers. Still, Apple's doing nothing. So Spotify's got this huge free tier with 20 million paying. Pandora's got um, uh, 4 million-ish paying. Um, if you fast forward to today, what what has sort of happened with Apple Music, um, they obviously launched in 2015. They now have 30 million paying subscribers, no free tier, just I think free trial. That's right, the 30-day 30, 30 free trial. And where Spotify is, is that Spotify has... Um, about twice that, they've got about 60 million paying subscribers and over 60 million who who are free. So Spotify has about double the listener base that that Apple does. If you consider, and there's this amazing chart on Asimco that we'll link to in the in the show notes called growth of music subscribers. Apple Music has basically been growing linearly since launch. Um, after 12 months, they were at about. Um, um, it looks like about 14 million subscribers after 24 months, they were at about 26, uh, and, and here we are around 36 months, um, where they're, they're, they've just crossed the 30 threshold. And so they're, they're growing much faster than, than Spotify who took years and years and years to, to get to, uh, to 30 million. But now Spotify is, is really starting to, um, sort of hit their acceleration in their in their exponential curve. So, still a very fierce battle. Well, while Apple, if you consider number of months since launch, is way out ahead, but obviously Spotify launched way earlier and is now accelerating it at sort of breakneck speed to actually convert their their free tier to paid tier. You know, we're in this world today where Spotify is preparing for some kind of liquidity. A lot of people are speculating that it's going to be a direct listing and and go go public. Um, there's talk of it being a, a twenty billion dollar um, market cap for that company when they do a direct listing, and th- they are accelerating faster than than Apple Music is in terms of paid subscribers right now. And there's a very philosophical difference between um, Spotify's uh, uh, ad supported sort of freemium tier that converts to paid, or Jimmy Iovine's. We don't give away music. We, ha- we, we charge for music and we give it to the artists. And Apple is sort of okay with, with growing more slowly or has, has sort of taken the position that we're okay growing more slowly because we have a, a more sustainable model that rewards everyone fairly. And um, honestly, Apple's got the cash pile where you know, it can be a loss leader for Apple. And, you know, of course, of course they make money on it. If, if you, if you look and, and see what the, the margins look like Apple music, it looks like, um, operates around a 42% gross margin um, when you're just working off of the um, uh, fees that they're paying to the record label. So there's obviously other costs in there. So they, they pay um, 58% to the record labels. Spotify actually pays less. Um, Spotify pays, uh, they, they've dropped it from 55% down to 52%. And so Apple's Apple's paying 58% to the, the record label. So the labels look at Apple Music and at Jimmy as, hey, this is a thing that's better for us. They have a, a strategy that's better for us where Apple doesn't need to make as much margin on this thing. Um, they're doing better by the artists. 
So it'll be really interesting to see how this whole thing plays out between Apple Music and Spotify with different philosophies. Um, Apple way late to this market, um, but obviously with a huge cash pile to be able to fight. Well, I'd say two things. I mean, uh, one, it's also interesting to just think about the numbers in relative to uh, maybe we're foreshadowing ahead a bit to grading, but Apple Music has 30 million subscribers right now at $10 a month. Now, some of them are on the free trial and whatnot. So like, you know, a discount, hyper aggressive discount of like, say, you know, two thirds of that is is like one third is, is not paying the full $10 a month. They also have family plans uh, where you can get the whole family on for $15 a month. So so we'll be aggressive. I'm sure it's not quite a third that they're losing, but say it's a third. So they have 20 million people paying $10 a month. That's $200 million a month at a roughly 50% gross margin. So $100 million a month gross margin contribution to Apple. That's over a billion a year. Like that's pretty good for paying, you know, 3 billion for, for beats. So financially, like that's pretty good. Um, but also the, I think like, I do really believe there's this other part of the story to music. Like it's not just music. It's not just Spotify versus Apple. It's the whole ecosystem and the impact on your life. So like Apple music is smaller than Spotify for sure. But like with Apple music, you know, you have like there's beats, right? And like if you're a beats, if you use beats headphones, like that's partially maybe important to you, at least from a brand standpoint. But then there's also just like, you know, things like the watch, you know, right? Like, and now Apple music on the watch and it's like, and with AirPods. And so now you can just start to get this integration into your life. Like I was talking about earlier in a way that's just part of a whole, a larger product and being part of your customer's life that Spotify will never be part of. It's very Steve Jobs of you. It's very like, <laughs> I mean, this is Apple's largest acquisition ever, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all about the music. And another interesting thing I should point this out well, when I was diving into this is there's a great quartz article that's called 90% of revenue comes from 30% of Spotify's Spotify's users. If you look at it like they probably have about twice as many free as they do paid. Um, so that's sort of a one third, two thirds thing. 90% of their revenue comes from that smaller group of paid subscribers. So if you're ever thinking like, boy, it really seems like they want me to upgrade to this paid tier. They're not making jack off of you as a um as a you know listening to ads that's really just a, a way to subsidize like you know we don't want to lose too much money on uh on giving this away free yeah interesting interesting the other player we absolutely should you know mention here is amazon like amazon's making a huge push with amazon music and including so there's two tiers of Amazon Music. There's Prime Music included for free in Prime, which is streaming of a couple million songs. So nowhere near as large a library as Spotify or Apple, but like enough for people who don't care that much about music. Like, oh, I could pay 10 bucks a month or I could get this included in my Prime subscription. And then Amazon also has Unlimited Music Unlimited, which is a direct competitor to Apple Music and Spotify, which is also priced cheaper at I think seven or eight bucks a month. And this is where, right, like I would rather be Apple than Spotify in this situation because Spotify has to now deal with competing directly with Amazon. But Apple and Beats don't compete directly with Amazon. Yeah, uh, Spotify is in the unfortunate middle here. Either compete with Apple head on or compete with Amazon head on, but but you don't want to be kind of caught in the middle. All right, well, I feel like we've done category and what would have happened otherwise. Should we do tech themes quickly? Ooh, what would have happened otherwise? Could Apple have successfully created Apple Music without acquiring Beats? Oh, yeah, of course they could have. What, what would it be missing? Let's look at like what Apple's you know, starting to do in video or Amazon too. Like, right, like the best Apple I think could have done without Beats 
is is what Amazon's done. It's like, you know, totally serviceable service, right? And that's part of the larger ecosystem, and that's great. But by bringing on Beats, they got a couple of things like we've talked about. They got the existing customer base. Now, most of those were headphones, right? But like millions and millions and millions of people that identify with the brand and have a relationship with the brand. Um, but, but Apple Music is definitely not the Beats brand. Like you don't get that for oh, free. Totally. You, you don't, but like, but they could draw a lot of that customer base into it. But then also they get like, you know, they get a vision for it, right? Like in, in what Jimmy, you know, has articulated. And again, like, has it been as successful thus far as it could be or will be in the fullness of time? I don't know, but I don't think they would have had that without a leader, you know, like leaders like Jimmy and Dre to come in and do it again, because it's all about the artists and the marketing. And so you need to be like, like Eddie Q going and being that leader in the music industry is incredible, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In fact, he's, he's feared in many ways by, by what he did last time around to, to pin that down a little bit more. Uh, is the service worse so there is more churn so there's I guess what I'm getting at is they already had like the best channel you could possibly have to try and sell people a music service by being baked into the platform um, would they be sitting at 30 million subscribers today if they tried to do this without Jimmy and Dre yeah I don't know maybe they would maybe they wouldn't but I, I don't think they would have you know as you pointed out like Apple's relationship with um, the music industry and with artists was um, tenuous at times. Uh, <laughs> and uh, now it's much, much better. Right. Well, if they had waited a couple more years, I guess they, they could have bought Tidal. <laughs> they could have. That's true. Yeah. All right. Tech themes. <laughs> that would be a fun show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> tech themes. Uh, all right. So one uh, one for me is just like technology in the liberal arts. And obviously, as you guys can tell from this episode, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid here. I mean, how could we not? It's an Apple show. Um, <laughs> but uh, but two, one I want to talk about is um, this actually is totally similar to the Stitch Fix IPO for me, like that that Jimmy and Dre saw something that was overlooked in the market and uh, and built a business around that um, and had an insight that nobody else had. And, and this is really like uh, going back to, to business school, one of my professors was Andy Ratcliffe, who was one of the founders of Benchmark. And, and he talked about, he, he took this from Howard, Mokes, Howard Marks at Oak Tree, this idea of like a two by two matrix. When you think about investing or building companies, you can be right or you can be wrong in what you're doing. That's like, you know, one of the axes of the two by two matrix. And obviously you want to be right, not wrong. If you're wrong, you lose money no matter what. But if you're right, you only make money in one circumstance. You could be right and it could be consensus that that's what's going to happen, you actually don't make any money in that scenario because you're not doing anything like different or outsized or, you know, whatnot. Where you make money is when you're right and it's non-consensus. And, and that's what Stitch Fix did, right? Like women don't need a, you know, personal shopping clothes service. Well, actually turns out they do, you know? <laughs> uh, and, and with Beats and headphones, it was like, well, you know, people who are audiophiles, like, you know, the high-end music market, they want totally fidelity you know accurate reproduction of the sound well it turns out they don't you know um so i think this is like a great illustration of that yeah i love that i think that's a great great parallel and it, it's it's a better dive into something that that i was thinking about is is defining a lifestyle brand where there previously was no lifestyle brand like realizing that a category is something that can play an important role and define people's lives rather than just being throwaway it's certainly worth looking around and considering where are there other opportunities to do that. 
and and Jimmy talks about this. He's like, you know, he says he refers to it as he and Dre they look for holes out there. Like, where is there a hole? Uh, and this is the same thing. God, they're great VCs, man. Totally. Well, that's what they did. I mean, like, you know, Jimmy, his whole career and then Dre as he's become more of a producer and, and less of a you know, direct artist himself. Like, that's what they do. They find talent and they identify it. You know, this is they found you too, right? Like they found Eminem. Uh, and then they give it the resources to succeed. Uh, I mean, that's like these guys are VCs. <laughs> they are great VCs. Well, here's another one. And that it, it, it was something we've been talking about on a previous show. But the content is king narrative. Where, mm, yeah. you know, we're talking about it's these guys and it's their vision and their relationships. What that really leads to is having the best content. Yeah. Yep. Well, and that's what Apple Music wouldn't have. Right. This. Right. Right. And does this now put us in a world, you know, fast forward to today, Apple's, you know, investing a billion dollars into original programming. Um, first of all, I'm very curious to see if that will be released. It's it's obviously video original programming um, under the Apple Music moniker much like are they going to overload it the same way that they did iTunes and make iTunes your rich multimedia hub when it was originally about music um you know Apple is is now well positioned with a subscriber base of 30 30 million people to actually have a a, a credible offering of hey you know pay x dollars per month the way that that you know you do to Netflix and and we'll be able to put great content on your device it's, it's interesting to see Apple spanning across modalities doing this. They may have a, a, a service much like Prime, that is you pay X dollars per month to Apple and you get the full Apple Music, you get all of our original programming, you get access to um, other videos or other TV shows that are on demand. It's Apple taking advantage of the vertical integration that they have and saying, look, everybody, we're, we're just going to, we're going to pour a, a new four pay services tier on top of everybody that's already in our massively integrated Apple ecosystem. Yeah. It's interesting too. to think about like Apple versus Amazon here. Cause they're taking the total opposite approaches and like, they'll both be very, this is why they're t- uh, perhaps the two most valuable companies in the world right now. I think like Amazon is like, we're just going to like, you know, you're, the Jeff Bezos, your margin is my opportunity, right? Like I'm going to fly so close to the ground on all of these things that in aggregate, like I make a ton of money, but nobody can compete with me on any individual aspect. Um, like, you know, I, I would be, we should, we'll, we'll cover Spotify someday in another episode, but like, I should be, I would be terrified if I'm Spotify, like Apple's uh, Amazon is now giving away what most of my users, you know, <laughs> pay me for. And Apple takes the opposite approach, which is like, I'm going to create this entire ecosystem. You're going to pay a lot of money for access to it. You're going to get an iPhone 10. You're going to get an Apple watch with cellular. You're going to get AirPods. And then I'm going to have all these services too and content around it. And like, but, but I'm going to be your, like your best friend and constant companion in your life, you know, <laughs> you know, it's just occurred to me. So I mentioned Apple, uh, you know, Apple is a highly, highly vertically integrated company, unlike, you know, uh, Google or Amazon that's, that's going across devices and, and not necessarily married to, um, the specific hardware that you pay them for. So Apple's business model has always been make, really great devices that are differentiated by their software and services and sell them for an excellent premium. They've been selling the services narrative recently that is on their earnings call every time. It's Apple is transitioning to a services company. Look at all these services, blah, blah, blah. The numbers on that look like, um, you know, if if we say that Apple music revenue is about three-ish billion dollars a year um, based on their 30 million subscribers, 
um, their last four quarter of services revenue have been about $28 billion. So Apple Music's still small. The vast majority of that still comes from, um, from iOS app downloads. When you think about what their total annual revenue looked like, it was $216 billion. So, um, you know, st- most of their... <laughs> I know, right? These numbers are just laughing, by the way. <laughs> Most of their revenue still still comes from their, their core business model, but um, certainly a, a fast-growing segment of, of services revenue. The number one thing that really drives that home for me is there's an Apple Music Android app. And it's not you know, nearly as widely used, I don't think as the, the one, um, for, for iOS. Like if you have, if you're in the Android ecosystem, are you really likely to pay for Apple music and, and, um, make that your, your choice instead of Amazon or Google or Spotify. But that still is very puzzling to me and a very interesting hedge on their classic business model to build and maintain, uh, an Android user base on Apple, Apple music. Yeah. It's super different even from all the things we were just talking about, right? Like, and I'll, I'll say, you know, this is a, I think it's a departure from, and I love this. This is like always a hilarious thing when people bring this up and I'll, I usually get mad at them, but I'll do it anyway. Like, you know, think about what would Steve jobs have done or would Steve jobs have done this if he was still alive? I mean, there was a windows iTunes app, but that was all about, and, and a windows safari app but uh, the windows itunes app was was all about um being able to get people's foot in the door in the apple ecosystem get them to buy an ipod so they could see the apple you know see the apple light and and then perhaps buy a mac and you know they made good money on the ipods too and and really a foot in the door into the apple ecosystem is that the same thing that we're seeing here with Apple Music, where if you're an Apple Music customer on Android, then it's a foot in the door in the Apple ecosystem, and maybe you'll go buy some of their high-margin hardware. I don't think so. I think it's more like we see an opportunity to have a great business as a services company. It's a little more muddled, but there is some element. I mean, like, you might go buy some Beats headphones or AirPods. Like, AirPods, you know, work with Android, too. Uh, not as integrated or as yeah, well. Yeah, how many people uh, have you seen with AirPods that have an Android phone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen many, but but how often do you you know meet somebody uh, in your work life who doesn't have an iPhone? Uh, in esports, a lot. Uh, in esports, a lot. <laughs> <you know. laughs> but yeah. All right, should we bring this one on home? Let's do it. So let's see. I'll go first on grading. I've been been I think pretty laudatory of this deal thus far for apple um and i'm going to continue to do so i mean i as i i think about um some of the acquisitions i compared it to i compared it to instagram and uh and next which are our references for an a plus on this show Uh, i think the only did we give instagram an a plus when we did it we got to go back and redo that episode because it was our first one (laughs) yeah that would, I if think, we didn't, we should have. <laughs> I think that would actually make it the third time that we've done it, including the unreleased pilot. Oh yeah, and the unreleased pilot. Oh man, that goes in the that goes in the acquired museum. That's someday. right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think this is kind of in that category. I don't think the execution though has been as good as um, Instagram and and Next, and specifically. Well, next was its own beast. Just, and that was Steve. Like Instagram, like the thing that made Instagram, all these dynamics were at play there. It's like reinventing, like what is Facebook, right? Like, well, Facebook, it's 
photos, right? And like, like let's make Instagram that uh, and all the growth, like, and how much Instagram is worth now and plugging into the ecosystem, blah, blah, blah. The thing about Beats, it's not, as we've been talking about here, it's not as clear, like, what the vision is and how it evolves. Like, the vision was there. Jimmy and Dre had the vision. Um, and it's now gotten a little bit diluted as part of Apple. Like, I think it's still there. But it's not like, this is not an A+. plus. Like, you can't point to this. Like, you can point to Instagram and be like, Instagram is now, like, you know, worth $100-plus billion. You can't say that with Beats for sure. So I think I go A-minus thus far. I'm going to go A minus two, uh, just from a, basically from a cash flow perspective, will this thing pay for itself and has it paid for itself in a reasonable time frame? Yeah. Yeah. I feel great about that. Um, has it been absolutely transformative to their business? Uh, no, but has it been, has it helped Apple evolve their digital music to this decade of what digital music means when digital music is a core part of Apple and their business and their their what their customers do with their devices absolutely i'm between b plus and a minus but i'm going to go a minus because i'm i'm um encouraged by the fact that we're a few years in it's the, the still growing strong you know they they did manage to very quickly get 30 million paying subscribers on this thing i think it's uh laudable well, and I think maybe maybe we just where this is where we disagree. I think it's I everything you say, but I think it's also it's not just digital music. It's it is there is this element of like what the vision is for the future of you know computing and society here. And like I don't want to say that like certainly as we've talked about like the Beats team did not like directly lead to the AirPods, but it's just part of the mindset, right? Like audio quality and music's a big part of that, but also podcasts, you know, also everything like this is this is part of people's lives and was being more so. And like the more you can integrate technology and that whether, you know, Steve Jobs called it liberal arts or, you know, when Jimmy talks, talks about culture and cool and understand, like the more you can integrate that, like, and understand it, like the more successful you're going to be. All right. There we have it. Carve outs. Our 50th episode. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Cool. Carve outs. Um, I'll go quickly. My the same theme, uh, you know, Jimmy and what an amazing person he is. And I, I talked about the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar book about his relationship with John Wooden. I think last time or the time before, um, I also read John Wooden on leadership, a book by by John Wooden, where he talks about his pyramid of success. Uh, just so cool. And I think like John and Jimmy are both people that have like been um, incredibly successful at the very very top of their industry across multiple complete sea changes in what that industry is around them. Just super cool to like learn about those people and how they did it. So uh, John Wooden, Jimmy Ivan, separated at birth. <laughs> awesome. Uh, David, are you playing HQ? No. Have you heard about this? No. So it's this incredibly fast growing consumer phenomenon that has a, a quarter of a million people concurrently playing when it's live. It is a game show that happens interactively through your phone that comes on twice a day. And it is from the creators of Vine. And it is, it is basically a, a host who comes on, asks you questions, very simple, awesome UI. You get to answer the questions um, and you, you progress to the end where there's a cash prize that gets split the number of ways of who, however many winners there are. And there will be like 250,000 people concurrently. You know, and, and this thing's like a month or two old. It's crazy. 250,000 people concurrently uh, in there answering the questions. You basically uh, see how far you can get. And it, it, the questions get 
progressively more difficult and they go from like piece of cake to quite very impossible very fast um but if you're left standing at the end then you you split the cash prize and that can be anywhere from 250 to i think the biggest they've done is like two three thousand dollars um and it's like uh, who wants to be a millionaire it is and I, there's so many like startup things to take from it like they, they they have this great i mean it's a great acquisition hack of literally giving away money and the number of people that that it's it's bringing on uh, relative to the small amount that they're giving away even let's say it's 2500 bucks super low cost of customer acquisition and it's really fun really poppy the founders not only created vine but had a couple of of failed things in the interim that this is sort of pivoted from so it's it's really cool to read the backstory there's been there's been a lot of controversy. If you want to look up uh, HQ News, there's been some uh, all sorts of interesting controversy about the company that I won't go into. But um, their, their backstory of of trying really new interactive models that are fun on your phone with with uh, with video, it's just cool to watch and and it's cool to see that they they found something that's like really really hitting, and it's super fun. So uh, every day at noon, um, you can you can go in and play the the live interactive game show on your phone. Cool. I'm gonna have to check that out. I heard that uh, there was something new from the founders of Vine, but uh, now I know what it is. Yeah, we'll, we'll play it and uh, tell me how far you get. <laughs> uh, probably not far. <laughs> Unless the questions are about John Wooden and Jimmy Iovine. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, All right uh, listeners. This is a great time to tell you about one of our very favorite companies, Crusoe. So. Crusoe, as listeners know by now, is a clean compute cloud provider specifically built for AI workloads. NVIDIA is one of their major partners, and literally Crusoe's data centers are nothing but racks and racks of A100s and H100s. And because Crusoe's cloud is purpose-built for AI and run on wasted, stranded, or clean energy, they can provide significantly better performance per dollar than traditional cloud providers. Yes, we talked about that on our ACQ2 episode with Crusoe CEO Chase Lockmiller. The other element that makes Crusoe special is the environmental angle. Crusoe, of course, locates their data centers at stranded energy sites. So think oil flares, wind farms that can't use all the energy they generate, etc., and uses that power that would otherwise be wasted to run your AI workloads instead. Yep. Obviously, it's a huge benefit for the environment and for customers on costs since Crusoe doesn't rely on the energy grid. Energy is the second largest cost of running AI after, of course, the price you pay NVIDIA for the chips. And these lower energy costs get passed on to customers. It's super cool that they can put their data centers out there in these remote locations where, quote unquote, energy happens, as opposed to the other hyperscalers such as AWS and Google and Azure who need to build their data centers close to major traffic hubs where the internet happens because they are doing everything in their clouds. Yep. If you, your company, or your portfolio companies would like to use the lower cost and more performant infrastructure for your AI workloads, go to crusocloud.com acquired. That's C-R-U-S-O-E cloud.com acquired. Or click the link in the show notes. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us today. If you like the show, rate us on iTunes and uh, have a great day. See you next time. 